everybody. Thank you so much for taking time out of your days tonight to come listen to our presentation. And we hope um, that we're able to provide some helpful information. And we want to leave time for questions at the end, too. Um, my name is Lorraine Gaynor, and this is? My name is Courtney Thomas-Dusing. And we are both staff attorneys at Iowa Legal Aid in the Iowa City office. And we're going to be presenting today a little bit about expungement. So looking at what sorts of um, criminal cases can be expunged under Iowa law and how you might go about um, finding out if anything in um, your criminal history is expungible and if so, how you would do that. And we're also going to be talking about the effect that a person's criminal history can have on their ability to find a job or, and to find stable housing. Um, and that's sort of what we'll start with. And you know, I think many of you may have read things in the news. This is something that comes up. But you know, people that have contact with our criminal justice system, whether that's just an arrest, whether they're arrested and ultimately convicted or end up serving time, um, that criminal history is something that can stay with you for a lifetime and can really be a barrier down the road to finding a job and finding stable housing. And so um, part of what we're going to look at today is um, what the existing laws in Iowa and on the federal level say about um, discrimination and you know what someone might be able to do if they feel like they've been discriminated against on a protected ground when they've gone to try to find a job or try to rent an apartment. Um, and just make sure that people are aware of the agencies both locally here in Iowa City and um, in the state of Iowa and then on a national level too that investigate complaints of discrimination in the employment and housing context. So thank you all for being here. And I think we'll try to um, take questions you know, a lot at the end. But if there's something as we're going that you want to ask too, that's fine. And we don't have a huge group here tonight. So you know, we want to try to make sure we, you know, we answer questions that the people here have. And um, thank you all so much for being here. So again, we are both staff attorneys at Iowa Legal Aid. Iowa Legal Aid is a nonprofit law firm that's throughout the whole state. We have 10 different offices. And our address in Iowa City is up above. And our phone number is the 319-351-6570 number. If you have a civil legal problem, we might be able to help you with it. If you have a pending criminal charge, you need help with that. We usually can't help with that. That's what public defenders more handle. But we sometimes deal with the aftermath of a criminal case that may affect your housing, like we're going to talk about tonight. But we also take family law matters, landlord-tenant matters, foreclosures, uh, if you're just sued for money, um, any public benefits, we talk to people about all of those issues. So if anything comes up in your life, you can either call or come physically to our office and see if we're able to help you. And you can also do an online intake where you put some of your information in and then we call you back. So that is our information. Um, and we'll yeah, and one of the, one of the types of um, things that we might be able to help with is expungement. And so when we get to that section at the end, we'll talk more about it. But 
Um, we, we accept applications for assistance from people who are wondering whether anything in their criminal history might be expungible, and if so, could they get some help with doing that? So um, that's, that's one of the type of things that we, that we might be able to help with. So we wanted to start by just providing a little background about federal and state um, laws relating to discrimination. And so on the federal level, um, employers are prohibited from discriminating against people based on the following traits, and we have them up there. Um, we wanted to list them out because there are some differences between the federal level and the state level. So um, on a federal level, under federal law, employers cannot discriminate on the basis of age, color, disability, genetic information, national origin, pregnancy, race, religion, retaliation, and sex. And um, landlords cannot discriminate on the basis of color, disability, familial status, national origin, race, religion, and sex. Now the federal law applies to most everyone. That is sort of the ground floor that all states should protect. But some states, like Iowa, include more protections. So Iowa adds more traits than the federal law. Um, I've listed all of the traits, um, but some of the differences are um, gender identity and sexual orientation are protected um, as far as employment goes. Employers in Iowa cannot discriminate based on those two things. Um, retaliation often comes up. If you make a complaint about your employer, they shouldn't fire you for making a valid complaint. Also in Iowa, landlords cannot discriminate against gender identity, sexual orientation, retaliation again, and all of the others. Yeah, and so, you know, in the housing context, for example, if you're a tenant and you, um, you make a complaint to the housing inspector for the city about habitability problems with where you're living, that there's things that aren't working or you think it's not up to code, and then your landlord takes some sort of action against you pretty soon after that, like say you have a month-to-month -month lease, tries to terminate your month-to-month -month lease with a 30-day notice, um, there's, you know, you very understandably may feel like that was retaliation and there's actually a presumption in the code that something like that would be retaliation. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's something to, if you feel like that's happened to you, that's, that's something that you could come and talk to Legal Aid about. So you saw on those previous slides lists of different traits or protected grounds, protected characteristics. Um, having a criminal history in and of itself is not a protected trait, but you can see up here, um, it's, it's, you know, sometimes an employer or a landlord's refusal to rent to you or, or hire you due to your criminal history can be discrimination based on race or national origin or another protected ground. And so we want to talk a little bit about um, what sort of factual scenarios might, might be discriminatory practices on the part of a landlord or uh, an employer and also talk a little bit about two legal theories. One is called disparate treatment, and one is called disparate impact. And that's um, you know, language that you see in, in the cases that talk about this. And it's a little complicated, and so we wanted to try and use some examples to explain. Um, I'll start with the disparate treatment. Um, 
and we have a little bit of an example up here. So if, if there's two people that are applying for a job, and one is a white applicant um, who had a theft conviction in 2013, and another is an African-American applicant who also had a theft conviction in 2013. So two, and let's say they have a similar amount of experience, they, you know, otherwise equally qualified in terms of relevant past experience for the job, and they both have this um, same conviction, same amount of years ago for the same offense. Um, but the employer, let's say, decides to offer a second interview to the white applicant, but not to the African-American applicant, or decides to hire the white applicant, but not the African-American applicant. Um, the employer there would appear to be treating the African-American applicant differently due to race, and that is called disparate treatment. So um, discrimination, though, can also happen um, when an employer or a landlord's rule or policy has a, a disparate impact on a protected group of people. And so we want to talk a little bit more about what that might be like, what that would look like. So disparate impact is a little different from treatment because disparate impact is when there's a neutral rule or policy or practice. Neutral means on its face it applies to everyone exactly the same. But the way that it functions, so its effect disproportionately screens out a protected group of people. So, for example, if there's a rule by an employer or a landlord that says anyone who has any criminal activity ever is not going to be able to be hired or be housed here, that's a neutral rule because it doesn't matter your race or your ethnicity or anything. However, a rule like that generally affects African Americans and Hispanics more than white applicants because um, of how society and the criminal justice system is currently functioning and the way, um, the numbers of who's in the criminal justice system, which we will get to in a second. Um, so the rule applies to everyone, but the way it applies is sort of unfair. And That's ends sort of up yeah, having a, a worse impact on certain people as compared with other people. And so part, to understand this, though, I think we got to take a step back and look at the, the statistics about race and criminal activity nationwide. And so there's been, and you know, some of the agencies that have interpreted these laws, so like, for example, HUD, which um, in April of 2016 issued guidance interpreting the Fair Housing Act, cited to statistics from the Department of Justice about rates of arrest and incarceration um, across different races. And so we've tried to put some of this data up here. Um, you know, generally in the United States, African Americans and Hispanics are more likely than whites to be arrested, convicted, or sentenced for drug offenses even though the rate of drug use is similar across all racial groups. Um, and then just to, to give you a sense, the second one, um, across the United States, one out of every 17 white men will go to prison at some point in their life, whereas one out of every three African-American men will go to prison and one out of every six um, Hispanic men will go to prison. And so you can see from that statistic the, you know, the much higher rate of 
experiencing incarceration among um, certain races. The, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and you might hear us talk about this later as the EEOC, and that's the federal agency that's in charged with, um, that's charged with enforcing Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Um, they, they have put, you know, stated about this data, and HUD has said similar things, that you know, looking at this data supports a finding that, that um, any sort of criminal history related uh, restriction has a disparate impact based on race and national origin. So, you know, if there, if there are criminal history related restrictions that an employer has, like we, you know, we won't hire you because of a criminal history or that a, that a landlord has um, that limit housing opportunities, that, that may have a disparate impact um, based on race and national origin. In Iowa, the statistics are slightly different. It's actually a little more stark in Iowa. We have some 2015 data um, from the state. In 2015, African Americans made up 25.9% of Iowa's prison population, while they only comprise of 3.4% of the general Iowa population. So it's a lot higher. Um, that means that Iowa has the third highest in the whole nation per capita rate of incarceration for African Americans. And if you look at the other side of employment, um, if you look at all the state's unemployment rates in 2015, Iowa had the third lowest unemployment rate for the population at large. However, at the same time, Iowa had the highest unemployment rate of the whole nation for African Americans. Overall, in 2015, Iowa's African American workforce was either incarcerated or unemployed 20.82%. That's a, that's a big chunk and that's where a lot of the argument comes from, is the data. And so, you know, I think Courtney talked about earlier, a, a blanket rule like um, anyone who applies for this job who has any criminal history will not be accepted. That very likely is discrimination based on, on this disparate impact theory because that's not looking at anything on a one you know on a case by case basis with that person. It's not looking at um, was it an arrest? Was it a conviction? What was the offense for? Is the offense in any way related to the job that a person is going to be doing? You know how long ago did this happen? Is there evidence of rehabilitation? It's just a blanket like we're not renting to you and we're, we're not hiring you if you have anything. That would be like an extreme end, you know? Um, so just taking a step first to talk about employment. Um, so when, it, when you're applying for a job, you know, there's obviously gonna be some expected job duties for whatever job you might be doing. So let's say, for example, you're applying for a job as a bus driver. Um, you know, important to that job is your ability to drive safely. And so, does anybody have any ideas like what sort of things in somebody's criminal history would be maybe particularly relevant if, if you're applying for a job as a bus driver? Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, um, driving under the influence, 
you know, severe kind of traffic violations. Certainly if those things are more recent rather than further in the past, it's maybe more concerning to an employer. So when an employer is, um, you know, looking to hire someone, they, they can ask about your criminal history. Um, we would generally advise with housing and employment to be truthful in applications because you know, if you, if you are not, um, there's, there can be all kinds of consequences later, and, and partly that depends, public housing, private housing, employment, but basically once you're, you know, once the employer has the information and is considering things, um, they, they can look at your history, but they have to um, look particularly at, at what is there. You know, was it just an arrest or was it a conviction? Was, um, what type of offense was it? How long ago was it? And then what are you gonna be doing for the employer and what kind of um, relationship is there between the criminal history and what you'd be doing for the employer? So we have a couple examples that I hope will maybe make it a little bit more clear. So our first example is with Wilma, and Wilma is African-American, and she's a female, and she applied for a job at Bus Inc. in Highway City, and she wants to be a bus driver. Um, she got, they asked her about arrests, and she admitted, you know, I was arrested two years ago for a DUI, which is driving while intoxicated, and Bus Inc. rejected her application for employment even though she was acquitted after trial. Acquitted is when the jury or the judge decides that you are not found guilty, so you don't have any sort of sentence. Um, Bus Inc. notes um, that she was acquitted only because the breathalyzer test, which a lot of cops or sheriffs use to test how much alcohol is in your system or on your breath, was administered to her, um, but it wasn't allowed in the trial because some procedure was done wrong. And it was inadmissible. So they couldn't use the test and they didn't get a conviction. However, there were witnesses at her trial that said she was stopped for reckless driving and she was staggering and they could smell alcohol on her breath. So were there other people sort of supporting the idea that maybe she was under the influence of alcohol? So Wilma's rejection from the job is fine, is justified on the employer's side, no matter her race in this situation, because her driving while under the influence is directly related to her potential job as a bus driver. There's a, a pretty strong link there. And it was a recent arrest, it wasn't a very long time ago, there were witnesses that supported what the charge was. And so, and this is an interesting one because you'll note in the facts that she was not convicted. So this kind of shows the complexity of this, that even, you know, it's not, well, they can, you know, as long as you were just arrested but never convicted, then it's wrong, you know, it's wrong for them to consider it and for sure that wouldn't be justified. But it's, it's complicated and they would have to do, you know, the employer I think would, best practices would be to do some, you know, investigation to consider, you know, obviously the facts here say that um, the witnesses observe this. Um, 
you know, Wilma may say, well, those people lied under oath and they don't like me and that's why they said that. I mean, but it, the employer would at least be able to point to some things that they looked at to look into this. Um, and, you know, that that's important. Um, the federal agency that um, investigates complaints about employment discrimination, the EEOC, they, these are actually pulled from their, some of their guidance. And I think are, some of them at least are based on actual court cases. And so, I mean, it depends, right? Because this, you know, that court case might have been in a certain circuit at a certain time. And, um, and kind of the bigger message here that I definitely want to make sure people take away is that if you feel like you have been discriminated against when you were applying for a job or when you were looking for housing, um, you know, you can report that to these different agencies that we're going to talk about um, who investigate complaints of discrimination. And part of what those agencies do is you know, a detailed interview with you. Why do you feel like this happened? And they, and they also, you know, interview the, the employer or the landlord who is accused of discriminating. And they, um, that's where maybe some of this stuff would have come out. Like the employer might have said, well, we, you know, I know that she was just arrested and not convicted, but we looked into this other stuff and, you know, that's why we made this decision. So they have to articulate some sort of um, defensible justification for it. And then these agencies, you know, kind of help make the call whether that person would have a right to sue or whether they think there wasn't probable cause about, about discrimination. So um, I can't remember whether this one is a particular court case, but, you know, in any situation, somebody um, who feels that way should, should contact the agency if they want to and then start that process. When we get to the expungement flowchart, there's going to be some more clear-cut things that, that I appreciate sometimes being like, this goes this way. But um, in a lot of situations, it, uh, it does depend. So this is, this is an example that we have to contrast with the earlier example. So let's say Lola, a Latina female, applies to the same company, Bus Inc., for a job as a bus driver. And she writes in her application um, that she was arrested five years ago for fraud and unemployment benefits. So what, what strikes you right away? What, what might have more to do with your job as a bus driver? She's a liar. Well, that's, it is a, it is a arrest for an offense that's related to honesty. Um, but it's, you know, a bus driver, I think a, a conviction or, or an arrest for driving under the influence might be more concerning to an employer than, than this in terms of, you know, the primary job as a bus driver is to keep the passengers safe and, and that type of offense is more directly related to whether or not you would be able to do that. Um, so she admits that she committed the crime alleged and she explains why she did it and, you know, her, her reason is some, you know, somewhat sympathetic that she received unemployment benefits shortly after her husband died and her expenses then increased. Um, during that time, she worked part-time making only minimum wage because her unemployment check was just slightly less than monthly rent. She had kids. Um, she didn't report the income to the state unemployment board because she was afraid that her payments would be reduced and that she wouldn't be able to feed her young children. And this is important too, I think, after her arrest, she agreed to and did repay the state. So at this point, she has, she's repaid um, you know, the amount that she was paid due to the fraud.
So they reject her. Now this situation likely is a violation of Title VII because committing fraud in the unemployment system is not as directly a business justification for rejecting an applicant for a bus driver. So in this case, you know, it's important the type of crime that the person is either arrested or convicted of, and also it's important the duties of the job that they're applying for and kind of considering what the relationship is. Also, they note that the arrest is not recent. And so with a, almost across the board, the how long ago in the past, has anything happened since then, what evidence is there of rehabilitation, all of that is gonna be relevant. So when you're kind of reading these, you know, keeping in mind how long ago, I keep pressing the wrong button, I'm sorry. Okay. So now we're gonna look at the housing side of this. The housing argument is newer. It sort of relates to the employment argument. The very um, important thing to remember is the rules for the employers, those have gone to court and have been decided by judges. Judges have looked at the argument and sometimes agreed that the person was wrongfully denied the job and sometimes maybe thought that, oh, it was fine. In the housing context, um, HUD, which is the Housing and Urban Development Agency of the United States government, believes that there's a similar argument in housing, but it hasn't been to court. So there aren't federal judges, we can't point to any federal cases right now that say this argument works in a certain way. But the federal agency believes at this point that it does apply, and they have issued guidance last year in 2016 telling that to landlords. So that's what we're going off of, but just keep in mind there aren't court cases, so we're just going with the best information we have. So the landlord rule is, again, is there a disparate impact? Um, but the landlord can still have a rule if it um, has a non-discriminatory reason that probably relates to being in housing, relates to renting the apartment. And there's no other way they can put forth that reason. So what would be something that landlords are really concerned about with their tenants? Any ideas? One thing we'll talk about is theft. If you have an apartment complex, um, you want to keep all of your tenants safe and you want them all to feel okay in the complex. So you wanna be careful um, and to make sure that um, people aren't stealing from each other or there's not things happening like that. So that's one thing that might be a concern. There are a few exceptions to this general rule for landlords. In Iowa and federally, um, you, a landlord can not rent to someone because they were found guilty of manufacturing or distributing a controlled substance. There's a federal law that says a landlord absolutely can deny housing based on that. There's no way to get around that federal law. That's what it is. In addition, there are some other rules. Certain landlords don't have to follow the fair housing laws. 
And for an example, if a landlord lives like in a duplex or in a house and has separated it into different apartments or rents out rooms, that landlord, because they're living there and it's a very small um, building or just a house, that landlord might not have to follow fair housing rules at all. So they might not have to prove that they're not being discriminatory. So if you run into a situation, it's best to talk to an attorney to find out, is my rental situation one where fair housing applies? And it just occurs to me, I, we've been sort of talking about this in the context of I'm applying for a job or I'm applying for an apartment, like on the front end of the timeline of things. Um, but there's also, you know, there's the situation where maybe you're fired from your job because of something that happens recently, you know, some recent criminal thing, or you're, you're given some sort of notice from your landlord because you were arrested and charged with disorderly conduct last weekend or something like that. So. Um, you know, certainly any of those situations, you can come talk to, you know, Iowa Legal Aid and do an application to see if we might be able to help. But we, especially situations where you might have gotten a notice from your landlord, um, you know, terminating you or saying that you're posing a clear and present danger because of a recent arrest or incident, um, we encourage people to come talk to us as soon as possible and to bring whatever notices they've received from their landlord with, with them so that we have as much time as possible to kind of analyze where you're at with, with things in terms of the housing and in terms of the criminal matter that might be pending. Um, it's always better to come sooner rather than later. Okay, and these were a couple examples, how are we doing on time, um, that we, we wanted to discuss to try to illustrate some of these concepts in the housing context. So let's say um, Jose, a Latino male, applied to rent an apartment at Housing Plus. Housing Plus did a background check on Jose and found out that he was convicted last year for burglary. He broke into his neighbor's apartment and stole stereo equipment. He's still on probation for the crime. Housing Plus denied Jose's application due to that criminal record. Likely this, is, um, this rejection is justified because um, Housing Plus has a non-discriminatory reason they can point to for denying him, which is the interest of keeping other tenants' properties safe. Um, the other factors that I think are important here is that the conviction was recent. Um, you know, as, as we were saying before, the further back, the better, and you know, different public housing authorities have different sort of look back periods. Um, I guess we don't say whether this is private landlord or, um, but you know, I think the, the further away it is, the better. And this one is pretty recent, and the fact that he's still on probation and that the crime um, relates to you know, potentially um, not being able to be assured that that tenant would keep property safe at, at the complex. So those are sort of the three factors. So here's uh, another contrasting one. Mark is an African-American male, and he also applied to rent an apartment at Housing Plus. Housing Plus did a background check and found a conviction for election misconduct in 2013. Mark illegally voted twice in the 2012 election. It's his only criminal charge or arrest listed on the record that Housing Plus got. Um, his rejection for housing 
um, could violate the Fair Housing Act. Um, election fraud is pretty unrelated to renting an apartment. He has never done anything else as far as the record shows. And um, there just isn't a strong link between being in an apartment complex and being a good tenant and neighbor um, versus voting. Yeah. And with housing, I mean, some of the most difficult categories of offenses are going to be violent crime and drug drugs. So, you know, I think landlords are especially um, concerned about arrests and convictions for, for those categories of offenses. Um, and I, one thing I just wanted to mention, so in Iowa, the, a lot of court records are public, and so you can actually look yourself up or anybody, um, and you, know, you might want to look yourself up just to see what's on there and just to kind of get a feel for the website, but it's called Iowa Courts Online, and if you just type Iowa Courts Online into Google, it'll pull up, and you can start a case search by typing in your last name and first name, um, and you can narrow the search by county, um, but you can pull up and, and you can see sort of what an employer or what a landlord might have public access to. So just to kind of check what, what appears. Um, but that's only for Iowa crimes right. or court cases. So other states, some states do have online databases that anyone can look at, some states don't. Like Illinois does not have an online database where you can just go put someone's name in and see all their Illinois crimes. It doesn't exist. What landlords do and what some employers do is they purchase a background check from another company that collects all the data from the state. So sometimes it's hard to know what your landlord or employer is looking at. You can ask them, I believe, for a copy of the report that they got so you can see what it says. Um, it depends on what company they use, where the, what year they got the data from that can be very different. Some landlords literally just go to Iowa Courts Online and put your name in. Some landlords might pay to get a record from a private company. Um, you can ask, but they have the right to do either one if they want. Yeah, and there's, there's an, another law about that, and we maybe the next presentation that we do, we'll try to talk more about um, about the reporting stuff. But in general, um, I mean, the problem sometimes is that people expunge things and then it doesn't, there's like a lag between when those things are removed from whatever report that a landlord or employer might be pulling. So that can create real problems. Um, we, we wanted to talk a little bit about just what to do if, if you or someone you know um, feels that they've been discriminated against by an employer or by a landlord or a housing provider. Um, there's different agencies at the federal and state level that investigate complaints of discrimination. Um, so with employment, there's the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC. Um, there's also here in Iowa, the Iowa Civil Rights Commission, and then also the Iowa City Human Rights Commission. And then with housing, um, HUD is, the, is for federal housing. Um, the agency, and then again in Iowa, there's um, the Iowa Civil Rights Commission, Iowa City Human Rights Commission, and Iowa Legal Aid also accepts applications for assistance, um, people who feel like they've had housing discrimination. 
So now we're gonna talk a little bit about expungement. Um, Lorraine is going to bring around these flow charts um, to make sure everyone has one. So the expungement law in Iowa is fairly new and it is limited. So what I have up here is the absolute basics. The flowcharts um, have more of the details to sort of help you figure out if your charge can be expunged. And let's just back up and talk about what expungement is. It um, depends a little bit on which category you're in, but generally speaking, expungement just takes your crime or case out of Iowa Courts Online, so when people put your name in, it won't show up. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. That means that the court still has knows it happened, a judge knows that it happened, um, and a few other government agencies can know that it happened. So if you apply for a job or housing and they ask if you've ever been arrested or charged, you still have to be truthful, even if it's expunged. In Iowa, it still happened, it's just sort of secret. It's a little different if it's a juvenile case because those are sealed and sealing is slightly different. And then um, deferred judgments are fairly similar. Deferred judgments generally drop off on their own, but they will also still be accessed by a judge. If, if they need to see that it happened, they can see that it happened. It won't go away entirely, it's just everyone else won't know. So cases that might be able to be expunged, which just means it's not in the public record, is deferred criminal cases. If you complete all of your requirements for your deferral, it'll happen automatically. Dismissed criminal cases, generally in Iowa, those won't go away on their own. You have to ask the judge to expunge it. You have to actually file something. We um, have done this, and Iowa Legal Aid, we take applications for people who wanna see if they can get anything off their record. Dismissed cases is a lot of the ones you might be able to get off the record. Because right now, if you look it up, um, if you have a felony case, and even if it was dismissed, when someone types your name in, it's still gonna show up that you had a felony. And when they first look your name up, it doesn't say what happened, it just says F.E. John Brown, and they know you got charged with a felony. They have to actually click on it to find out it was dismissed. That's an extra action that has to happen, and not everyone does that. So it can be really good to get dismissed cases off, especially if they're like a felony or something that looks really bad, yet you, it was dismissed or you were acquitted. Those are stuff you should really try to get off. It could be helpful, okay? Um, two types of convictions for adults or minors that might be able to get taken off prostitution and public intox or Paula. With Paula is the, um, possession, the of possession of alcohol. alcohol under the legal age. So those are types of convictions that if you meet certain requirements, you could get those expunged. Juvenile convictions generally those will also be sealed automatically um, depending on how old it is if it's an old juvenile case you might have to file something in court if it's within the last year the judge might take care of that for you if you're confused 
either call legal aid or if you still have a current public defender or a criminal attorney you're talking to, you can talk to them about that. Cases that generally cannot be expunged, civil cases. There's no way in Iowa right now, the way the law is written, to take off any civil cases. That means if your landlord sues you or tries to evict you, it's always gonna be on Iowa courts online unless the law changes. So even if you weren't evicted, it'll still show up. Um, most criminal convictions, other than the prostitution, Paula's, and public intox, cannot be expunged in Iowa. Other states have very different laws regarding this. So if you have convictions in other states, you should call legal aid in that state. Um, there's legal aids in every state because they might have different rules. But in Iowa, if you have a burglary conviction, you can't get it expunged, okay? Um, so the flow chart, if you look at it, can my Iowa criminal case be expunged? Just like think of, of one of your criminal cases and then go through the questions and try to figure out if it can be expunged or not. And that is on here for all of them, okay? So there's one for criminal cases. There are a lot of questions because there are a lot of requirements. Um, so you have to be, it has to be dismissed or acquitted. Um, 180 days have to have passed. Your court debt has to be paid. That one we may be able to work with. If you owe court debt, you should still call legal aid because there's things you can do about court debt. If sometimes people are acquitted because they were found to be insane at the time of the crime, they won't let you expunge those. Or if they found that you didn't understand the trial enough and that you were incompetent so they couldn't have a trial, you can't expunge those either. So those are the basic questions that you have to go through. There are different questions for each category. So the next category is juvenile criminal case. Those have different rules. Same with the intoxication ones and the prostitution ones. The intoxication and prostitution have a little less. Two years have to pass and you can't have been convicted of anything other than just like a traffic offense. So if you got a public intox one year and the next year you got a, a theft fifth or anything, you're not gonna be able to get that intox um, expunged. So you just gotta think about each of your cases and then go through the questions. But it can be complicated. So that's why you can call legal aid and we can look at your records and go through them and see what we think. Does that make sense? And Courtney was saying, um, you know, unfortunately, a common type of civil case that, well, all civil cases generally can't be expunged, but eviction hearings or forcible entry and detainer, FED, um, those, those are civil cases. And also, sometimes landlords sue tenants um, in small claims court or district court for money damages or and those cases also show up. And that, you know, I think our clients experience difficulty with that sometimes, where a landlord will look and see, oh, well, you've been evicted three times, or even if the person was never evicted, but their landlord filed an eviction case three times against them and they were all dismissed, it's still like three entries on Iowa Courts Online. And, um, you know, as Courtney was saying, you have to click past the first field to even see the disposition of the case to get to the field where it says dismissed rather than trial by court. 
And so there are things that um, that people can do still, though, to try to put themselves in a better position and have a better chance of finding housing. And you know, if if that's a barrier. Um, having these evictions on your record or money judgment cases, and you're kind of wondering how can I, how can I address this um, with a future potential landlord? You know, we we do intakes on that too, and some of the general advice we give is to try to um, get references maybe from any past landlord that you had a good experience with. You know, so maybe something was you know, bad with this most recent one, but before that you were living somewhere for six years and things ended amicably and you paid your rent on time and that person would write you a glowing letter and, you know, something like that. Sometimes people have a long period of good tenancy and then for some reason a very short period of something bad happened, you know, and I think having um, a letter from a former landlord talking about that you have a history of being a good tenant for this period of time is, is helpful. And other people can write letters too, you know, someone from the community, someone from your church um, that would, you know, vouch for the fact that you are responsible, that you they think you would pay your rent on time, that they think you would be a good tenant. I mean, all of that can only help generally. And um, so it's not... It's not like there's there's nothing you can do um, because you can't expunge it, but it's it is you know it is a thing and it's it's so non it's it's difficult and um, as of right now there's not anything you can do to expunge the the eviction records. Another thing you could think about is if you were being evicted or you a bunch of eviction cases were filed against you in part because you couldn't pay your rent. If your financial situation has changed drastically or if that was a bad period in your life, you lost your job or something catastrophic happened to your family, um, trying to explain that to the landlord um, at some point can potentially help. And also if you suddenly have housing assistance from Section 8 or from some other source explaining that, yes, I had a hard time paying my rent, but now I have help um, and they will be helping me. Sometimes explaining that can ease a landlord's fears.